go on to verse 42 then in this context. Uh, and then may, maybe some of you have not been here throughout the, the series that we've been looking at through Acts 2, 37 to 47. Uh, but they will hopefully be available at some point soon on YouTube if you want to go through them. I want to speak to you this morning regarding where it tells us about continuing steadfastly. Acts, 41, Acts 2, 41 and 42 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptised. Them that gladly received his word. Again, last time or the time before we went through the understanding that to say them that gladly received meant that there were also those that didn't. And we know that because 3,000 were saved out of a possible uh, two, two and a half million people who were possibly there on that day. And also that there were those that said, these men are just full of sweet wine. They're basically drunkards who were just acting out because they had not been given the ability to see what was going on. So they gladly received his word. Those who were baptised on the same day, same day were added unto them. Unto who? Unto what? 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Later on, we see what actually they were added to in verse, or the back end of verse 47. It says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So when it said that they were added unto them, it's not just talking about they were added to the apostles, but added to what was happening, added to this New Testament church. Something here had been radically changing. Birth, the New Testament church was birthed. And Peter stood and he preached this very first powerful, life-transforming sermon. Why was it transforming? Was it transforming because Peter was eloquent? Well, it says in Acts later on that Peter and John were seen as uneloquent, actually. That they were common men, unschooled, just merely fishermen. And yet the Pharisees, who were the religious people who could speak well, who were pompous and walked through the streets with their dapper clothes and loved the praise of men, even they readily admitted these men had been with Jesus. Uh, that's, that's the greatest thing. Some of us in here, I mean, I'm not from Yorkshire, but I'm from Nottinghamshire. Still common, if you know what I mean. And Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? He says, not many noble, not many of high birth. He chooses those that are weak to shame those that are strong. Those that aren't. Those that are nothing. And we may, we may be amongst that company this morning. We may be amongst the uneloquent or the unschooled. But let me tell you this. That doesn't make any difference when it comes to God because he can speak a word through you mm. that will pierce the hearts of many men. Mm. I remember a man, I think his name was Henry Clouds. I may have that wrong, so forgive me if that's the case. We don't quote him on that. I think his name was Henry Clouds. He was a very timid man. And God revolutionised his life. He 
touched his life, he saved this man, but he didn't take away his personality, his, the, way, the way he was, he was very timid. But he, this man knew he had to preach, he just knew he had to preach the gospel. And he used to stand in the pulpit with his hands over his face like this. So nobody would be looking at him, he was that timid. But behind his hands people were just falling on their knees, crying out to God for mercy. But again, that's not about Henry Clouds. That's not about a man who is timid or a man who is charismatic or, or is confident to speak. It matters not who the man is. It matters who the God is behind the man. Yeah. It matters whether the power of the Spirit of God is upon or attending the word that is preached in this day. The power of the Holy Spirit saved 3,000 people. We said in one of the messages that there is joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And yet here we see 3,000 people. Imagine the rapture of heaven on this great day with the angels, myriads of them all rejoicing before the throne room of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. Worshipping the Lord God who on this day saw 3,000 people not only added to the company on earth, but added to the halls of heaven. And as we've seen, they were added to the church, and people were being added to the church daily. They were added to the church through baptism. And they were added to the church through this baptism. And it says, on the same day, that must have been a very busy day, 3,000 people being baptised? No. Our brother Frank was telling me the other day about a baptism that occurred here and how there was more being baptised than was originally planned and that they had to change and rechange and the people had to get in the water and dry themselves on tablecloths because it was something that just happened on that day. Mm -hmm. And a great testimony of hearing that God had done something there. But we're talking here about 3,000 people who were baptised added to the church. Albert Barnes, a commentator, comment, commenting on this verse, or commenting on the verse uh, that says, this, this phrase that says, the same day, says this. It may be further remarked that here is an example of a very quick admission to the church. It was the first great work of grace under the gospel. It was the model of all revivals of religion. And it was doubtless intended that this should be a specimen of the manner in which the ministers of religion should act in regard to admission to the Christian church. Prudence is indeed required. But this example furnishes no warrant for advising those who profess their willingness to obey Jesus Christ to delay uniting with the church. If persons give evidence of piety, of true hatred of sin, and of attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ, they should unite themselves to his people without delay. I think that that's what we believe here, don't we? That if people confess the Lord Jesus Christ, if they are showing a, a new piety, a new love towards the Lord Jesus Christ, 
A new desire to live in holiness. To want to lay aside that sin that readily entangles. To hate it. Not to be free completely from it. Not to not be a sinner. But to hate the sin that is a part of our flesh. And want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. These people shouldn't be denied to unite with the church. And there is cases all across the board where there are like these, these classes, if you like. And like, like, like uh, Albert Barnes says here, we need to have prudence, we need to be watchful, we need to be seeing if their confession, at least by what we see in the initial fruits, is there and true. But we shouldn't be making sure for months on end with regards to baptism. Having classes that last, go on and on and on and on. There's an example in scripture, isn't there? You know where I'm going? Acts chapter 8, which is the Ethiopian eunuch. In verse 35 of Acts chapter 8, it says this, When Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He was reading Isaiah 53, he couldn't understand it. He needed somebody to explain it to him. Who is this man? Is this a prophet that was? Is it somebody that is? Who, who is this person? How can, I, how can I understand this unless somebody shows me? That was his heart. He wanted to know who this person was that Isaiah 53 spoke of. So Philip began to preach to him Christ, the Lord Jesus. And it says in verse 36, as they went on their way, they came to certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me? What hinders me to be baptised? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He didn't, he didn't check him out. He didn't say, I need to spend a few weeks with you just to make sure that your confession is true. I know for a fact I've been involved in baptisms myself and the people who have been baptised seemingly don't come to church anymore. I don't know where they're at. I'm not sure if their confession was true. But that ultimately is between them and God. Somebody makes a true confession. Somebody shows in their life that, that you see that they want to follow God. And they come and say, here is water. What is to hinder me? Then all we can do is take them at their word. Take them their lives for what we see. And we baptise. And he said this, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptised him. Again, the most important thing to note with regards to this is what we read in Acts <coughs> chapter 2 verse 47. That it is the Lord that adds to his church. It's possible for men, it's possible for women, to have something going on and to say, I desire baptism, and for them to even show certain fruits and yet them not be of God. It's the Lord that adds to the church, yeah. not men. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. I will build my church. 
Now he uses men. And he uses the church as a body. But it's him that builds his church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of death, the gates of that place that holds men and women, won't, won't prevail against the church being built by Christ. There is nothing, let me tell you this, there is nothing. It might be, we might be in a time of death, we might know churches that have closed down, we might see what's happening in this generation. The church seems like people would rather just live and be merry, eat, drink and be merry. And the church seems to be very small. Oh, people are leaving. Oh, Lord, it just feels so, the desperate situation. Let me tell you this. There is nothing happening that God is not in control of. It is going exactly according to his plan. That doesn't mean that we sit back then and say, Oh, well, God's got it in control. You know, if our church, there's only five people, we don't need to pray. You know, God is supposed to be like that. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. God calls us to pray. God calls us to, to have a heart for longing for his church. To love his church. We can't love Christ and not love his church. But we don't need to get despondent. Because he is the head of his church, not you or I. And he will build his church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Won't happen. He is mighty. Does anybody in this room want to stand up against Christ? Get enmity with him? I don't. I'll be crushed in a second. Jesus commands us to what? Make disciples, not converts. Now we want to see converts, but he doesn't command us to make them. Because it's not in our ability to make converts. I cannot convert a soul to Christ. I can preach the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit upon the gospel, which is the preaching of the word that he has declared to be his way, can pierce the hearts of men and, and their minds and their consciences, but it's all the power of the Holy Spirit upon the, the word. This word that is his. Not the speaker. That's why it's possible, and very, very possible, that some of us who never preach from a pulpit, who actually may never preach, may speak a word into the ear of a work colleague about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the seed is planted, and whether it's then or whether it's later, may flourish into salvation. It's the gospel that saves. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And he has given it to be preached. So he commands us to make disciples, not converts. That we should teach, should baptise in the name of the Father, Son and the, Holy, and the Holy Spirit. And we should teach them all of his commands. Acts 9.31 says, Then have the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria. And were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Were multiplied. The church was being multiplied. Again in Acts 11 we read. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The 
church was being added to day by day by day. And in those days, in this time, they were coming in the myriads. It was a very special time. A very special time of revival. But it was said of those who were added to the church in the scripture that we've read in Acts 2.42 that they continued. And this is very important. It's a, it's a very lovely phrase is this. And they continued. How easy again is it sometimes to just zoom past such telling statements. And what does this tell us? They continued. What does it tell us? These 3,000 people had gladly heard and gladly received the truth of the gospel. They were that fallow ground that had been broken up, been churned up, and the seed had sown, had fertilized in that good soil, and it had took root and it was beginning to produce fruit. Hearts of stone had been removed and replaced with hearts of flesh. Blind eyes was promised in Isaiah chapter 61 and again in Luke 4 as Jesus stood up and said today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. <clears throat> the one that came to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives from prison, to open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. Their eyes had been opened, their sight restored. Unstopped tears and chains and fetters broken, bondage. Clasps of bondage been snapped. Captives of sin released from their prison. And again, those who were at once sat in great darkness had seen a great light. These people were dead. We, see, we saw again in some of the verses we looked at previously. These men were dead. They were religious. They thought they were God's people. They thought they knew God. Yet they didn't. They crucified the Messiah. They were dead. Now they've been made alive. By God. They called upon the name of the Lord. And were saved. Their lives absolutely transformed from being dead in religion to being alive in the truth of Christ. Lives absolutely transformed. And we've got to not assume or make any kind of presumption that any of these people, of these 3,000, were apostates. The scripture doesn't tell us that any of them were apostates. What it says, what it tells us, is that they continued. They continued in breaking bread together. They continued in the fellowship of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles, in fellowship with one another, in breaking bread. They continued in prayer. These people continued on in the very life of the New Testament church. In verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, they continuing daily, it says. 
Continuing again, there's that word again, they continued, they went on in their lives, they went on from there, they went on from that day that they were saved, that they were baptised, that they were born again, they went on and they continued. Daily, with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they eat, uh, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That's where they were, they were glad the hearts and minds had all things in common with one another in the unity of Christ. They continued. How? How did they continue? What had changed? They continued by the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptised, every one of you. There is the order. You repent of your sin. Be baptised. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. And what did he say? You shall. Not you might do. Not one day in the future you'll have some kind of baptism somewhere. Some extra thing that comes or doesn't come. He said you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord Jesus Christ came. To save people from their sin. That was clearly stated in Matthew 1. 21. All our sin has been laid upon him. And the wages of that sin has been paid for by his death in our place on the cross. We've been ransomed. It's like... Those people in the marketplace. You go and you pay. You set them free. Those slaves. They were just waiting there for somebody to come and buy them. To come and work for them. Do whatever they were commanded to do. And yet somebody goes up and says I'll have them all. Here's the price. Now go free. Redeemed. Ransomed. He's paid for us. We're not our own. We've been released from the dominion, the captivity, and the bondage of sin. But we belong to Him. We're not our own. We were slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. We are not forgiven of our sin only to be left to our own devices. I said it previously, you don't get forgiven of your sin just to go and live and, and fall into the same thing over and over again. If that were the case, we'd just continue ending back at square one, we'd be on a loop. Now God has been propitious to us, hasn't he? God has been merciful, that's what propitious means, to be merciful, to pour out his mercy, to have pity. On such pitiable people. Turned his face toward us in favour. You know, Christ, God the Father, doesn't look upon us now with a frown of how much sin is in your life. If you're his, if you're Christ's, he looks upon you with joy in his heart, a smile on his face. How can you be a fellow heir? To the throne of grace, and he be angry. 
because of what Christ has done. He's been propitious to us. Turned his face to us. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to empower us to continue to live the Christian life. This is what he's talking about. They, they continued. Why do you continue in the Christian life? It's not because you get up every morning thinking, oh, you know, I really need to do this. Maybe sometimes when your mind might think that way. But it's the power of the Spirit of God that lives in a believer that causes us to continue. To continue every day that we wait with a desire in our hearts. Some days it may be high, other days it may be lower because of the work of our flesh. But that's what we're talking about when we say continue, even through the darkest of times. Even through the hardest of times. Even, then, even when everything seems like the world is falling around you, you continue in the faith. Why? Because of the Spirit of God that lives in you. Because if it was your own power, you would just crumble at the first hurdle. This is all a work of God. Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit in John 16 and says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. We are, as it speaks of in Romans 8, 29, to be conformed. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus. We know that if we don't have the Spirit, then we're not of Christ. But it is the Spirit of God at work in us who sanctifies us. As we, by the power of the Spirit, mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh. And Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, we also walk by the Spirit. So they continued. And as Christians, we continue. But it says they continued steadfastly. Not only did these people continue on in the teachings of the apostles, in fellowship, in breaking bread and prayer, they continued in it steadfastly wasn't something that they did from time to time. It wasn't something where they decided to go to church one week and not the next. Or, it's okay if I don't, it's okay if I do. I don't need to go to church. I can fellowship at home. It was none of that kind of stuff. They continued in this steadfastly. Their lives were changed. The church became their life. Christ became their life. And he had instituted the church. He had instituted his body. Which is here this morning. We are a body, we are a local church, which is the highest authority on earth. There's power in the local church, friends. You've got to believe that. You don't just bring people together just to have some big party or make friends. Of course we want to be friends and we're called to love one another. In fact, if we don't love one another, it's quite likely we don't love Christ. They were earnest towards being holy in the life of a Christian. They were diligent in every aspect and every exercise. They were constant 
And they persevered and they adhered to the church and its people. They adhered. What? Adhesive. You know, that's where the word comes from. Adhesive, adhered, stuck to, closely together. Hardly separated. To adhere to something means you just, you join to it. For if you live after the flesh, it says in Romans 8.13, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. See, there are good works for us to do. God has saved us not just to sit on a chair and wait for heaven, but to walk in those good works that he has prepared for us to do. That not only means me, but it means you. If you've been born again, if you know Christ, then he has works prepared for you and your life. Not that you might walk in them if you choose to, but that you should walk in them. That we should walk in them diligently. That we should be chasing after them. That we should be looking at every aspect and every exercise of church life and say, what can I do? What is my part to play? The church is a body of believers. And if I sit you down and take away your feet, how are you going to walk out of here? It needs every part. The body needs every part. Christ is the head. Without the head, there isn't a body. But it needs every part. We should be walking in these works that he has beforehand prepared for every believer in which they're walking. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 and 9. Now he that planteth, or plants, and he that waters are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labour. For we are labourers together with God. And you are God's husbandry, you are God's building. As we see these scriptures, we see that we're labourers together with God. But it also gives the emphasis that we are to be involved in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Looking at sanctification, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's synergistic. What does synergistic mean? It means there's more than one involved. It means there's two involved. So that's why it says in Romans 13 that you must put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit of God. God and you, both working. We're to walk worthy of the calling which he's placed upon us. We're to flee from sin. We're to pursue holiness without which no one will see God. We're called to work with God in our sanctification. As is against justification, which is all a work of God, monogistic, mono, one. It's all of God. But when it comes to sanctification, we have a work to do. But even then, even ultimately, with our work towards it, even with that, that partnership with God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans 8.13, we're unable. We haven't got a hope 
of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in a sense, the reality is that salvation is all of God. And he causes us, he works in us, he gives you that desire to hate sin. If you're going to hate sin, what are you going to do? You're going to do your utmost not to find yourself in a position where you know you might be tempted. You're going to run away from that thing rather than run to it. You're going to check your attitude, your thoughts and the way you speak. By the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you. And you're going to endeavour not to be that way. By the power of the Holy Spirit who is ultimately the one that changes you. You can have that desire within you. Blessed are the day that mourn. A verse that's used countlessly out of context. Do you mourn for your sin? Do you mourn because of what you are? We're not talking about unto condemnation. But in the Christian, there should be this continuous mourning of knowing what your flesh is. Knowing that I just I want to love God better. And you know what? I'm useless at it. But I desire it. And I long to know him. I long for, for John 17, 3. This is eternal life. To know God and Jesus Christ who you've sent. I want to know you, but I feel like I'm so far away. How does it come, that kind of desire, that kind of brokenness, that kind of mourning, unless Christ is in you by his spirit? Friends, God is the keeper of his own. This is such an encouraging phrase. You don't hold yourself up. You're in his hands. And he is the one, really, that will cause you to continue steadfastly. To the day of your death, if you are a believer in Christ, he will continue to make you continue steadfastly. He will give you greater desires as you're in his word. Your passion for him will grow. But I'm also, I'm not afraid to say that there may be times where that seems to be actually lowering. There are people who backslide. There are people who walk, kind of seem to walk away. But I tell you this, if they're truly God's, they can walk as far as their legs will take them, but God will bring them back. There's no way that the God of heaven and earth, the mighty, majestic Son of God, who laid down his life for his people, is going to let one of his people walk away. He paid the ultimate price for them. So we've just read. They're not their own. You belong to another. Is Christ going to let one of his that belongs to him wander off? Don't want you? Not ultimately. Our feet may slip, but not ultimately. Let me read you this again. I've read this so many times and I'm hoping you won't tire of this. But I love these scriptures. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice can't get away from, can't get away from these verses of scripture when we're talking about these things. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. He can't give them eternal life if it's not eternal. How can he say such a thing? If it's going to be eternal, it's eternal. 
shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The word man there is added. Neither shall anything, anyone, pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There's no doubt here. It's absolute certainty. And I've said this, I think I might have said it last week, but this thing about any man, they, 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 they try and throw it out and say, well, maybe other people won't be able to, to pluck me out of Father's hand, but maybe I could do it myself. Maybe I could pluck my own self out of God's hand. The word man's not there. Basically what it says is that nothing, anything, no object, no thing. No one or anything can pluck them out of my hand. What a grip, he's got a vice-like grip on his people. So if we're his, we've got to rejoice. And if somebody comes, like Paul endeavoured, to speak of, like people had, and says, well, okay. That's the case. Should we sin all the more that his grace abound all the more? If it's so that he's, if we're not going to fall out of his hand, should we live how we want to in order that his grace is magnified? What did Paul say? One of the strongest things that you can say in his language. God forbid. May it never be. May it never be said amongst you. If we are truly gods, we don't want to live that way. We want to live unto him. We want to, to please him. We want to flee from sin. If we know that nobody can pluck us out of his hand, if we know that we're his and that we're going to heaven and we're going to live with him for all eternity, how much more then do we want to live for him now? Surely that should be the outcome. Not to say, oh, thank you, Lord. Now I'm going to go and live where I want. If somebody says that to me, then I have a great big question and a red flag as to whether they're saved in the first place. Yeah. We don't live like that. We live where we mourn when we displease our Father. We live where we want to please Him. We live where it's our life and our joy to be one with our Father in Heaven. Not to displease Him. When we displease Him, we're grieved. And we sigh. We don't go back to one with a stick. We go back to a loving Father and we confess our sin, who is then quick to forgive. Put his arm around and say, here's the fatty calf. Here's a ring. Here's a cloak. Here's the sandals for your feet. What a God we have. What a God we serve who would do such a thing for wretches like us. Matthew 1, 21 again says he shall save his people from their sins. Let me just read to you a couple of verses from the Old Testament with regards to this. Genesis 28, 15 says God, uh, this is where God speaks to Jacob in a dream. He says, behold, I am with thee and will keep you in all places where you go and will bring you again to this land for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Friends, listen to me. If he says this to Jacob, is he not saying the same to you? 
Is Jacob better than you? Is Jacob a more grander man than you? As far as I was concerned, he was a wicked man and a deceiver. Who robbed his brother, although he gave it up far too easily. Granted, he robbed his brother of his birthright and then lied to his father about who he was. Put hair on his arms. And said, I, I am Esau, your son. And robbed him of his birthright. Does that sound like a, a man of righteousness to you? And yet this is what he says to him. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. And I will bring you back to this land which I said to you, I will give you. If he says to you, as a saint of God, and I will take you to the promised land, he will take you. You'll be there. That's the promise. Psalm 66, 8 and 9. Oh, bless our God, you people. And make the voice of his praise be heard, who holds our soul in life and suffers our feet not to be moved. And then Isaiah 41 10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. We talk about promises all the time, don't we? But do we really grasp them? Do we really believe them? Do we really stand upon those promises? That he will not let me go? That he will cause me to continue from my life, from when I was born again, right until the end, steadfastly in the things of God. He will cause me. He will give me what I, I need. I don't have to conjure up and, uh, and, 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 and make things appear. I can, be a, I can be a man of weakness. I can be a man like Moses who says, I, I'm, I'm stuttering, I can't speak, Lord, please go and find someone else. I said, no. You're the man. And whatever it is that he's got, or whatever good works he's got for you to do, they're for you to do. We don't bury them, we don't pass the book. We live in them. What about the New Testament? John 17, 11 through 12. Now I am no more in the world, he says, but these, speaking of his disciples, are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your own name those who you have given me, that they may be one, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those that you give me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Talking of Judas. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, Paul says of the Philippians, that he which began a good work in you will perform it, will finish it, until the day of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Lastly, 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. 
Why art thou downcast on my soul? Well, the question there is we need to ask ourselves. Why are you downcast when you've got such promises in the scriptures? My question then really is, do I really believe them if I'm so downcast all the time? Do I believe them? How ought we to behave knowing these things? We ought to walk worthy, as it says in Ephesians 4, of the vocation in which we're called, with all lowliness, all meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We ought to, as Philippians 1 tells us, let our conversation be as it becomes the Gospel of Christ. Paul says that whether I come to see you or else I be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Friends, are we going to strive together? Are we going to strive together in this place? For the faith of the gospel? Are we, going to believe, are we going to expect great things of God here? Are, are we going to go to God and say, Lord, will you save this town? Do we believe this can happen? Yeah. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then Peter says this, lastly. 2 Peter 3, 11 to 14. Seeing then, all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. This is how we ought to behave. This is how we ought to go on from here in our lives. Knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that causes us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to continue steadfastly in this faith. He's given it to us. He's saved us. He's brought us into his kingdom. And he will keep us in it. Yeah. On to the last, final trumpet call. We will all meet with him. Sheep on one hand, the goats on the other. Yeah. And those who have been preserved by him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your reward. What a treasure. What a promise we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I really hope that you encourage this morning to see that if you are in him, that he will cause you to continue steadfastly. Yeah. And he will enable you by his power to fulfill those works that he prepared for you to do before the foundation of the world. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness, your patience, your love, your mercy, your long-suffering. Thank you that you're so propitious. Thank you for your promises. That even though we know ourselves, Lord, even though we know what we are, even though we, in the silence of our own minds, in the darkness of the corner of the room that we sit, maybe, and we ponder upon the kind of person that we are deep inside, and we wonder, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why me? Why choose me? Purely because it pleased you to do so. And I thank you, Father, that you chose us. And you pulled us out of sin and darkness in the world. Lord, we do readily admit that we're not what we ought to be. That we're not where we ought to be. That we don't desire you enough. That we don't praise you enough. That we don't pray enough. That we don't read your word enough. That we don't worship you enough and rightly. We readily accept those things, Lord, for we're but human beings. And Lord, we ask you to help us that those things grow. That we're not, con- not condemned by them. That we're stirred on and convicted, Lord, that we ought to be better. And that by the power of your Spirit working in us, that we can be. Lord, will you enable us to fulfil all of those works that you prepared beforehand for us to do? Lord, will you show us what they are? And will you, Lord, cause us to, to, to take a hold of everything that comes across our path in a godly manner? Lord, would you cause us not to neglect the gathering of the saints as some are in the habit of doing, as it says in Hebrews 10. That we would view the church not as just a place we go every Sunday, but as the body of believers. Christ is the head. For Lord, we will spend eternity with our brothers and sisters. What a poor story it is if we can't spend time with them now. Help us, Lord, to view the church rightly. And that we, as a member and a part of it, Lord, fulfill that part that you've given us to fulfill. Lord, help us, we pray, to be those living stones that have been fitted together into the house of the Lord. And Lord, help us continue steadfastly as we know your promises have said that you will. Lord, we ask all these things for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.